Yo, what's going on, guys? I'm Hanada Melendez, Take the World Podcast, and today I got Taco Take the Motherfucking World on here. What's up, bro? Hey, what up, man? How you doing today? I'm just chilling, dog. So we're going to get right into it, man. I want to talk about athletes, man. So I've been wanting to do this podcast for a while just because fucking sports were, were stopped for a while, but now they're slowly coming back. So today, I just want to talk about top 10 favorite athletes of all time. Word, word. So what I want to do is what we all right. So what I think we should do is I think we should go back and forth from like one through 10. But then like kind of give a little reason why on each one. Word. So, like, I, I think we should start from, like, one and then go all the way to ten just because, like, maybe number one will have a better explanation. You know what I'm saying? Like, it'll have a more deep explanation and then go into, like, by the time you get to number ten, it'll kind of be like, yo, because he's pretty cool. Yeah. So. Number one being, like, your favorite or... Yeah, your favorite. Like, favorite or, like, most impactful. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So, I'm going to let you start, man. Oh, damn. Don't make me start. I'm not ready for this. All right. So, then I'll go. Yeah, um, yeah. So, I'm going to say number one, man. And I know it's kind of like... I know this is going to sound like a fucking, like, cliche thing. But I got to really be honest, bro. Just because, like, he passed away on my 25th birthday. And... Mm-hmm. He's pretty much the whole reason why I started watching basketball, and that's Kobe Bryant. You know what I'm saying? Like, I wasn't into watching sports. When I was growing up in New Jersey, like, my mom didn't even, like, watch sports at all, and we watched whatever she wanted to watch. You know what I'm saying? So, like, me getting into basketball... Like, watching basketball was around the time where he was, like, on his second run. So, not even with with Shaq anymore, but it was him by himself. And, like, the first full season of basketball that I really watched and, like, kept close account to was the season where the Lakers beat the Celtics in the finals. And the Celtics had, like, the super team. Like, they had the big three. They were, like, the first big three. And they had already won a championship. So then Kobe winning with, like, a subpar team was, like, my my first exposure to, like, real competitive sports. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So that's that's that. Uh, Well, I would say Kobe, but... I think that's everybody's fucking favorite athlete. <laughs> yeah, for real. Like, I mean, it, and real quick, just to like sidebar, I don't like, you know how people always do the like Michael Jordan stuff? Like, man, yeah. I was not old enough to watch Michael Jordan. I'm, I'm 25 years old. Like, I have never seen a live Michael Jordan game in my life. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So it like his game... Like, not that it didn't matter, but it didn't affect me at all. Yeah. So, 
word. Well, I guess my number one would be Matt Fraser. Mm. And the reason I say that is because he's the reason that I really, really got into like, like conditioning and like wanting to be the fittest, not only the most, like the strongest, but the fittest, the more conditioned and the most balanced and overall athlete in the room. Mm. I like that. It's a mindset that he has and that he's, he's talked about on interviews and stuff. And when I first started getting into like working out and all that, that mindset is what drove me to keep getting better because there's always people around you. And if you're not pushing yourself to be the best in the room, what are you doing? Yeah, I like that. Yep. Man, so you said what? Not to mention he's like a four-time fucking fittest in the world or some shit like that. Yeah, man, honestly, bro, like with Matt Frazier, man. So, like, I watched CrossFit when I think, like, it was Rich Froning's, like, third time or something. And Matt Frazier at the time was, like, working a full-time job, still doing CrossFit, came in second place. And then, like, the next year, he completely, like, dominated. Like, every event he completely won without anybody even being close. You know what I'm saying? I'm pretty sure, like, I, I could be wrong, and you probably know better than I know, but I'm pretty sure his first championship, he had won every event. And uh, Every event, but he did, he was, like, he was in top numbers in every event. It, word, it, so, like, maybe, like, top three in every event. Yeah. I just, I, I just yeah. remember that he had, like, this completely, like, dominant performance and i was like fuck man like this dude is other level you know what i'm saying yeah so i'm actually gonna group mine up a little bit because some of the reasons why i like one person is the same reason why i like other people yeah and so for me for number two and number three which is probably like one of probably like if I had to say like most influential in my lifetime is number one and then number two would just be like uh, uh, or number three would just be like an added person because of the mentality. So it would be Mike Tyson and then John Jones. And the reason why I picked those two is one, not only were the, are they and were they amazing fighters and like damn near unstoppable, some of the most dangerous men in the world, but like they overcame and or for John Jones is still overcoming like some really fucked up personal decisions. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like they, they've just, both of them, like Mike Tyson fucking getting into fights with, you know, fucking media and going to prison and all the fucking drugs and the gambling and then with John Jones is pretty much like the same shit 
is like the drugs, the fucking, the, the firearms, the drinking and driving, the addiction, like all this stuff. But somehow, like, for examples, like John Jones, like something that Dana White said was when you look at John Jones, you think of like the greatest light heavyweight of all time. And that's while he's not taking care of himself. Like he hasn't taken care of himself in the last 12 years. And he's still quite possibly like the most dominant person ever in the UFC. You know what I'm saying? And for Mike Tyson, like, I mean, the fucking, the history is written about him. Like, he wasn't a good person. He was just a shitty fucking dude. And throughout his life, and now even more, like, that he's older and he has, like, a podcast and all this different stuff. Like, you get to see this guy that was once, like, possibly, like, really after he bit fucking Evander Holyfield, like, the most hated man in the world. Now everybody loves him. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, but that just shows you, like, how people can come along. Yeah, and that I, I think that's what I like, man. And I, I, I think that's why I like them. And I think, like, that that's kind of been my whole, my whole thing for the last fucking, like, what, seven years now? Is, like, man, you, you, you're not stuck in one spot. Like, you don't have to fucking... When when you are down and you are fucking making mistakes or you're making decisions that go against, you know, whatever that you don't, you don't have to stay there. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. And I think yeah. that like, even like recently, man, and whatever it is, like it could be a PR move. It could be whatever, but like John Jones going out during fucking the, the protests and he's like stopping people from destroying shit. Like, could you imagine if you just wanted to throw a fucking, you know, brick through a window because you're mad and then fucking John Jones walks up to you and tells you to put it down? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I'd probably shit myself. But yeah, that's what, that's what I'm saying. And he was already angry. Like, he yeah. was already out there angry. So, like, now you have an angry John Jones walking towards you telling you to fucking put a brick down. So, like, those are the things that, like, whether people love him or hate him, like I have, I have respect for him because what he's able to do, even though a lot of his actions are self-destructive. Mm -hmm. So. Bro, you want to know my next athlete? Yep. Number two. Number two. I would have to say it's another CrossFit athlete. It's a female. Okay. And I would have to say Tia Claire Toomey, however you pronounce her name. Yeah, she's a beast, man. Yeah, bro. But not only that, bro. Like, you know how she's so fucking humble about herself? Like, the same year she came second place in the CrossFit Games, she went to the fucking Olympics. And competed for like in the Olympics, like gave like it was weightlifting, right? She was doing weightlifting. Yeah, 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 yep. And bro, like she literally went like to the CrossFit Games three weeks before she went to like the Olympics. Like the fuck. Yeah. That's like dedication, 
on top of dedication. And not only that, she's been holding her fucking throne since she's fucking got up there. Same yep. thing as Matt. For- yep. Well, and the thing, man, that I... So, like, for bodybuilding, something that that I think about bodybuilding is people will say, like, oh, these women are on steroids. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. in bodybuilding, it's more acceptable to be fucking juiced to the gills because it doesn't matter what you're taking. It just matters what you look like. And so, you know, the fucking 120-pound guy on his computer could be like, oh, I could look like that if I took steroids. But, like, for women in CrossFit that are at the top level, like, I don't give a fuck how much drugs you gave me. Like, I couldn't do what they do. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, it just, it wouldn't matter. It's never going to be transferable. Like, the way that they compete at that much, like, that high of a level, like, like you're saying, like, three weeks out from the Olympics, she's competing at the CrossFit Games. Like, competing at the CrossFit Games would put me in a hospital on the first event. You know what I'm saying? But, like, that's, so, so like, it doesn't matter. And then, like, with the whole thing about, like, oh, these... You know, because something that I really hate is like when dudes are like, oh, man, she looks manly. She looks this. She looks that. It's like, no, man, she's just in 10 times better shape than you. You know what I'm saying? Like, and that's how somebody looks when they can perform at such a fucking high level that all she needs is a three week break to go compete at the Olympics, which she probably didn't even take a break. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like travel time and fucking training. Yeah, and you can't you can't just get cold. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Um so then who's your number three? Alright, my number three and four I would have to put together because they're both uh strongest man. It would have to be Eddie Hall and Half Thor. Yeah. That's funny that you can go ahead and add this one too as Brian Shaw because all three of those motherfuckers are fucking beasts. Yep. Man, I, um, I, I... Go ahead. I was gonna say, Eddie Hall's definitely, like, my top favorite out of the three. Just because I follow him the most, and I listen to all the bullshit he has to say. <laughs> yeah. Man, I, I'm telling you right now, like... I think that Strongman, for me... Because I didn't, I didn't follow... So, like, when I got into working out like number one was bodybuilding because my brother because anthony watched bodybuilding Mm -hmm. and so like number one was bodybuilding and that's what i started watching i started watching like jay cutler i started i started watching ronnie coleman kai green like those guys then i got into like the powerlifting side with like the the teron beckham when he was doing powerlifting um larry wheels guys like that but when i like stumbled onto strongman for some fucking weird reason like i think it was on the history channel like i wasn't even looking for it but i just found it you know what i'm saying um like the competition i was like yo these motherfuckers are dragging airplanes you know what i'm saying like it wasn't even like it didn't even seem 
like physically possible 90% of the stuff they were doing. Yeah. And I'm like, man, like, bro, to even be on that level. And like my favorite thing, my favorite lift of all time, my favorite thing that'll always be number one to me, which is like king, is deadlift. And I remember watching, um, his name is fucking drawing a blank to me. So like, I feel fucked up, but it was the Russian guy and he went to go do a deadlift. And I think it was like 800, 900 pounds at the time. And his mouth started to bleed. His nose started to bleed. And like his eyes looked like they were going to bulge out of his head, but he got the lift. You know what I'm saying? And right then and there, I was like, holy fuck, bro. Like, these dudes don't care if they die doing this. They're just going to do it. Yeah, I think uh, you're talking about the Lithuanian dude. He wears Uh, a beret. uh, Oh, you're talking about that guy? The dude with the fucking military Russian thing? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. I don't know his name off the top of my fucking head. Yep. But I know exactly who you're talking about. Um, yeah, man, that, that stuff's just crazy, bro. So, for me... Hold on, are you at... You're at five, right? Yep. All right, so for my number four and five, I'm going to say Allen Iverson... And then Steph Curry. And so I'm from, I'm from Egg Harbor City, New Jersey. Like, you were either an Eagles fan or you were a Giants fan. You were either a Knicks fan or you were a Philadelphia 76ers fan. Like, nobody supported New Jersey teams. Until New Jersey got... Vince Carter and Jason Kidd, like South Jersey represented like Philadelphia. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people that I grew up with or grew up around were, were Philadelphia fans. So they were Eagle fans and they were Sixers fans. And I remember Allen Iverson, like the, the fucking practice speech, like practice. We're talking about practice. Not the game, you know what I'm saying? That speech. And then just the way that he carried himself with like a fucking, like a flair about him. Like the dude is shorter than me. You know what I'm saying? And he played basketball against fucking giants. Like I'm 5'10", bro. And he has dunks on like seven footers. You get what I'm saying? And it was just the heart, the heart of it all. And then Steph Curry, the reason why I I really, really fuck with Steph Curry is because when I had just moved to Charlotte, so I had moved to Charlotte in 2013. No, no, no. Whoa, wait, wait, wait further. 2008, I had moved to Charlotte. And that was when Steph Curry was a star at Davidson College. And, you know, Gil, my big brother, 
he would always watch sports. He was watching basketball. He was watching football. He was watching college sports. He watched fucking horse racing. He watched like everything, you know what I'm saying? And so every day, like there was news of fucking Steph Curry, Steph Curry, Steph Curry. And I started to check him out. And this dude was like, what, what is he like? Maybe six foot one, maybe six foot two, something like that. And this dude fucking shoots three-pointers from half court. And you can't even call it a bad shot. Not from him. You know what I'm saying? Like, they were talking about, they were talking about, like, before Steph Curry to after Steph Curry. And they were saying that, like, before he got into his, his rhythm of really being, like, the shooter that he is... The average amount of three-point shots in a game in the NBA was 14. And now, the average amount of three-point shots in a game is 32. And it all happened after that season where he had broke the three-point record. You know what I'm saying? So it was like a turning point. It was like, man, if you have guys that can shoot that can really shoot the lights out, then you're more likely to win the game. And so, like, the entire NBA had, like, switched over to deal with what he was doing. And I think it was, like, 2014, something like that, when he broke the three-point record. The guys that were making the NBA game, the 2K game for that year, said that they couldn't make the game realistic because they couldn't only make shots available for one character. And so basically what the guy was saying was like, I don't know if you've ever played like NBA 2K, but there's like a meter that tells you if it's a good shot or not. And the guy was basically saying as he was developing it, that there's no way to put that meter on, like, Steph Curry's shot. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. So he he practically, like, broke the game literally because of how good he was able to do one thing. Yeah, man, so what? who, who would be your six? My six? Yeah. It would be... Uh... Fucking John Cena. Yes. All right. Why? Why John Cena? Why? Yeah. Because that Hispanic kid that grew up in a black neighborhood that wanted to be black. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I I get it, dog. I get it. Yo, John, John Cena was the shit, bro. Bro, you can't see me. Yeah, for real. Come out with the fucking spinning fucking title belt. He had a fucking <laughs> album too. <laughs> Yeah, bro, he dropped an album. <laughs> Yo, that dude was wild, man. Became a Marine. <laughs> yeah, for real. Dog, the, the funny thing about him, man, like, and, and the, the, so the funny part is, like, I do have wrestlers on my thing, and uh, it's, it's just funny because, like, John Cena was the, the carryover after, like, pretty much our childhood. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know how much you watched wrestling as a kid, but, like, I was a fucking 
every Monday, every Friday guy. You know what I'm yeah. saying? And like, I, I, like backtracking, like, you know, it's fucking evolution. Like it was Triple H, Batista, Ric Flair, Randy Orton, um, you know, like Sean, the, Shawn Michaels, like D-Generation acts, like the big draws. But like John Cena was one of those guys, at least for my childhood, that was like the new guy that took over. Oh yeah. You know what I'm saying? And he he had became like just with his persona of like like Mr. Thugonomics or whatever, like he had became like an icon overnight. And then yeah. with like who did he beat? I don't know if it was the big show when he did the when he did the FU to the big show and big show was like documented as like five hundred pounds. But um yeah. when he won like not even the WWE title but when he won like the the um, United States title, like you remember the fucking elimination chamber fight where he started off at the beginning. With oh all yeah, yep. And then fucking Edge had to come in with his fucking Money in the Bank title shot after this motherfucker done defeated. Seven motherfuckers in a fucking elimination chamber. Yeah, bro. With Ellen back. And not only did he not fucking tap out the first fucking spear, it took two motherfucking spears to make this nigga fucking get uh, fucking pinned out. Yep. Like, that motherfucker wild. Yeah, bro. No, I remember all that, man. Like, that was my whole thing. And so, like, right away, man, I'll just go into number one. Or number n- number number six for me, but really number one, like as far as wrestling goes, is Eddie Guerrero, man. So that's that's for sure. Like him, I remember like him teaming up with Batista and them winning the titles, and like hit him going on the run, him winning the heavyweight title. Uh, Chris Benoit being there, Rey Mysterio, and then if you remember, man, like Eddie Guerrero died in the middle of what seemed to be like his darkest character, and yeah. it was him versus Rey Mysterio. And if you remember that storyline, it was basically like him betraying Rey Mysterio and them had been best friends their whole lives and all this stuff happened and so like they were really painting the picture to like you know hate Eddie Guerrero yeah and then when he passed away you know as a kid it was almost like for a second I thought it was part of the show yeah you know what I'm saying? Like, I thought that that was part of the storyline that was going on because they had made him, like, practically the most hated person on the roster. Yeah. And, man, when I found out that he, like, for real died, and then, you know, people can say what they want, but, like, this is my childhood, that, you know, not even six months later, Chris Benoit did what he did. Mm-hmm. Like that was my first time 
realizing that like I wasn't just watching a show. You know what I'm saying? You know how you watch fucking, you know, like Dragon Ball Z or you watch like I was I was dealing with real people. Yeah. And when that all happened, I was fucking devastated, man. Like I just remember like crying about it and like my mom being like, "Yo, what the fuck are you guys crying about?" You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like you're fucking yeah, for real. Like, and like that's how my mom was, and she's like, "You're crying because one of your fucking made-up wrestlers died," and I'm just like, "Yo, like this is a real thing." Like these, and again, like I think that was my first time, and I don't remember how old I was. I gotta have been like ten or eleven. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, that that was like the first time I realized, like, oh, this isn't a made-up show. These are people. Sticking to a script Because it's not like I had watched any other television like that You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah So yeah, so that was that And then for the other one, man I have to say, just just based off of like One, his WWF, WWE career And then two, what he's been able to do afterwards, man I gotta say The Rock Oh yeah Like to me, man, The Rock is, like, at a status all his own. And he's one of those guys that I think because I watched him so closely as a kid and I've pretty much, like, grown up, I was growing up as he was growing into being a superstar. That it's almost like part of, like, a big chunk of my life has just been following his career. You know what I'm saying? Nah, I totally feel that. Yeah, and so, like, I mean, think about it, man. Like, as a kid, I was watching, like, Attitude Era WWF. Like, him, Steve Austin, NWO, fucking D-Generation X. Again, like, Evolution. Coming into, like, the John Cena's, Undertaker Kane. Like, all the... All those people, but like with The Rock, we got to see him be like a WWE superstar. And then he did like, what was the movie? The Rundown. And then he started like bigger and bigger movies, bigger and bigger movies. And now he's like one of the highest paid actors in the world. And it's just straight off of like hustle. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so that's like, for me, he's one of those guys that like, you know, it, it's that typical story of like, yo, I had $7 in my pocket and I made it work. You know what I'm saying? And I mean, that's what we're all trying to do, bro. We're all trying to fucking take that $7 and fucking make those dollars and make our own tequila company. Exactly, bro. <laughs> Except for, for me, it's going to be whiskey. But uh, <laughs> your poison. I'll take mine. <laughs> yeah. But um. All right. So what's your six and seven? Because I just did six and seven. Uh, my six and seven. Um, I'm gonna have to go with uh Jason Frank, which if you don't know, he's a Power Ranger. Hell yeah. He's also a karate instructor, so. The athletic side of him. Yep. 
and the reason I'm going with him is because uh, I think we've all faced our own demons. And I don't know, like, we've all had to overcome a darkness. And he's pretty open about, like, how he's had to overcome his own darknesses and his own addictions and his own habits. Yep. And the way he's motivated people, like, I feel like it's inspiring to me. And the fact that you can be an adult and pretend you're in high school, it's pretty fucking dope. Yeah, yeah. I know, bro, and I love karate ever since I was a kid, so it's been inspiring to me. Hell yeah. Um, the next one would have to be um, Shaquille O'Neal. Yeah. Um, reason is because I have a horrible shot. Mm-hmm. And I can relate to it. I'm sure yeah. he could, too. And... I don't know. I like the way that he's gave back to the community even like when he was a star. Like he's the one of the first athletes that started a brand named Shoe that sold for under twenty five bucks at low income housing people of I don't know, my income amount I guess. I yeah, mean, I, I, I had a pair of shacks, man. Yeah. Yep. And bro, they got me through the school year. Yep. I've never I've never in my life owned a pair of Jordans. I've never owned a pair of any fucking, besides as an adult and buying my own, but my mom bought us pairs of Shaqs. Yeah. So. I had to beg my mom to get me a pair of Jordans. I kept telling her that I get, like, kids were making fun of me at school and shit, just so I could get a pair of Jordans, bro. Yup. <laughs> Sorry, bro. The shit you gotta do, bro, as a kid. Yeah, exactly. Bye. No, man, I think that a lot of people forget just how, like, I don't think they forget. I think this new generation just doesn't know. But, like, for our lifetime, not for our lifetime, for our, like, age group, the most dominant center in our age group, like, current history, believe it or not, would be Dwight Howard. You know what I'm saying? Like, pe- people forget that he was a NBA all-star, like, his first two, three years. He was defensive player of the year. He was, like, leading the magic and scoring. He averaged, like, a triple-double. Like, all this stuff. And this was, like, modern-day modern, modern day science, modern-day nutrition, modern-day athletics. And then, if you look back at Shaq in his prime... Even then, with, like, all the outdated stuff, and, like, they didn't really have the strength and conditioning. They didn't really have the, the nutrition. They didn't really have, like, the things that we have, that the, that the NBA has now. He was still levels and levels ahead of the most dominant center that's playing in the league today. You know what I'm saying? Like... The only person that I would compare Shaq to now would be like Giannis Odalakempo or however you say his last name. I just call him Giannis. But, and that motherfucker can shoot a three ball. And he can shoot, you know what I'm saying? So we're talking about like points where Shaq was making majority of his points in the paint. 
he was just breaking glass on people. You know what I'm saying? Like literally breaking the glass, dunking on people. And nobody ever saw that from a big man. And then the whole Kobe Bryant stuff, like him and Kobe together with the three-peat, and then for him to go to Miami and win a title, I think the next year or the next two years with Dwayne Wade, and that was Dwayne Wade's breakout season too. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like Shaq has really been, in my opinion, like if we're not if we're talking about like top ten of all time, maybe you wouldn't put Shaq in there as like players ever. But if you're talking about top five greatest centers in NBA history, and you don't put Shaq's name in there, like you you didn't watch basketball. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like he was that good, that young, and it was insane to watch. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Bro, totally off topic. I just want to say that you know you've lived and you're from basically North Carolina, Chuck. Yeah. I just want to say that these fucking mosquitoes out here. Oh, I know it, bro. <laughs> fucking drive me crazy. Like, what in the fuck? I have a fucking mosquito bite in the middle of my fucking forehead. <laughs> like, it goes right in the middle of my fucking eyebrow. Like, right on top of my motherfucking nose. Goodness. Alright, bro, I'm sorry. No, you're good. This <laughs> is ridiculous. Yeah. But, um... Alright, so fucking... For me... So... So, uh... My next two, and I have, I have two reasons for this, and this is going to kind of like line up with each other because they're both NFL. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to say Randy Moss, uh-huh. and then I'm going to say Cam Newton. Okay. And so similar reasons is because, again, I didn't watch any sports until I was like, 13. My mom never had sports on in the house. And we were not allowed to pick what we could watch. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> Unless she was at work and then we were watching bullshit. Um but so Randy Moss, I'll never forget this. He was playing for the Raiders. And we were watching this game. And the guy, his quarterback, whoever it was, throws a touchdown pass into the end zone. And Randy Moss is covered by two guys. And instead of, like, breaking away and trying to, like, you know, outmaneuver them, he jumps between both of them, puts one hand in the air and, like, one hand to block himself. And he catches the ball over both of them and then lands in the touchdown. You know what I'm saying? And that's why, like, when somebody catches something in front of you, you say you got mossed. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just mossed you. At least that's what we used to say as fucking kids. You know what I'm saying? I remember playing a game that we used to call you got mossed and you had to catch it over. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's like 
that's like fucking you you're shooting a you're shooting a piece of trash into a trash can like you never fucking said jordan you said fucking kobe you know what i'm saying like it's just things like that and so i remember watching that and i'm like man this dude it's got to be the gloves you know what i'm saying because i don't know if you remember or how long you've been like really deep into football but like you like around that time is when they started having the sticky gloves. Um, and I was like, man, it's gotta be the fucking gloves. No way somebody can catch that. Well, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But, uh, no, it was him. And then I remember sitting on Gil's couch in his old house, in the living room, the day that Tom Brady and Randy Moss, so they were on a 17, I think they were on a 17-game win streak. Or they went 18-0, I believe. Um, and they lost to the Giants that year but in the Super Bowl. But in the exact same play, in the last game of the season, Tom Brady throws the ball to Randy Moss. Randy Moss catches it, runs it in for a touchdown, and simultaneously, Tom Brady broke the quarterback record for most yards to a receiver, and then Randy Moss broke the, the wide receiver record for like most yards caught in a season or something like that. You know what I'm saying? And it was all in one play. And I remember Gil telling me, like, one day you're going to talk about this and somebody's going to ask you, like, where were you when you saw this? And you'll never forget it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and that's what it was. Like, it was a moment in history that happened and it was like, holy fuck, man. Like, we might have just witnessed, like, for a single season, we might have just witnessed, like, the greatest quarterback and the, the greatest wide receiver of all time play on the same team. You know what I'm saying? Which we did. In hindsight, we did. It, yeah. it just wasn't established then. You know what I'm saying? And uh, again, with like the Randy Moss stuff, which kind of goes into like the Cam Newton stuff, and I'll, and I'll talk about Cam Newton, is that like Randy Moss's attitude is the thing that ruined it for everyone. Like... He was so good. He was so talented. But, like, there was literally times where his teammates would say, like, he would walk out on the field and he would tell them, like, I'm not going to play tonight. And he would purposely, like, not jump up for balls or not, like, you know what I'm saying? And for me, man, like, that ruins, you know, that ruins your legacy when you have you know, situations like that, because think about like how good he would have been if he played like fucking, you know, how good he is every single game. You know what I'm saying? And I think like that's a plague in the NFL for wide receivers. I can't think of a single, maybe like Larry Fitzgerald, but like, Maybe there's a handful of receivers in the NFL, like top receivers, that didn't have problems off the field. 
and all the great ones for my for me for my lifetime would be like Randy Moss, Terrell Owens, Chad Ochocinco, Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, like those guys, man, they always have problems. They always have egos. They've always been catered to as far as like their NFL careers go. And, you know, they don't know how to handle the, the fact that like it's not about you. Because like if you have a good wide receiver in high school, you're going to win a lot of games. In college, depending on what, you know, part of the country you live in, you have a good wide receiver and a decent quarterback, you're going to win a lot of games. When you get to the NFL, you can be the greatest wide receiver in the world. If you can't work as a team, you're not going to get very far, no matter how much your individual stats look. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So then when I go with Cam Newton, like when I got to Charlotte, um, we had got free tickets to like a Panthers game. And it was the Panthers versus the Falcons. And at the time, y'all still had Jake DeLone. And it was like the decline of Jake DeLone. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I remember the game because I was so excited to go. And I think they got blown out like fucking... I don't know. Man, I want to say like 28 to 7, maybe. And Jake DeLome had thrown like three interceptions. Like, <laughs> it was bad. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But it was my first football game that I had ever been to. I had never been to any professional sports games ever in my life. Um, in New Jersey... There was like a little league, not not a little league, a fucking minor league team, but it wasn't even minor league. It was like a gimmick fucking, it's called the Atlantic City Surf. And they were like the D league of the D league. You know what I'm saying? And so like the Panthers was the first pro team I had ever seen in real life. So I was like, fuck it, man. I'm a Panthers fan. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'll be a Panthers fan. This is cool. And then with like Cam Newton coming and having a rocky year, you know, dealing with what he dealt with in college at Auburn and fuck or not Auburn, Florida State, and then fucking going to the uh, I think he did go to Auburn, right? Or am I yeah, mixing that up? No, nah, he did. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, just dealing with what he dealt with in college, and then you know coming to the league really making like a difference on the Panthers, kind of like with a confidence boost, man. Like that was my, my opinion of it was we had a star. He just wasn't a star yet. You know what I'm saying? And then as it built up and it built up and it built up, um, he became like Superman. He became the fucking, you know, the guy. And, 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 you know, unfortunately, you know, I was in Colorado when they went to the Super Bowl and they lost to fucking Denver. I was here, so I had to hear about it all the time. You know what I'm saying? Because <laughs> I was the only fucking Panthers fan. But 
like it was kind of like man it was it was his decline in, in watching him and i still think like now he deserves a shot um with another team and i would love whatever team that picked him up i would love to fucking watch their games and i would root for them as well because i'm i'm a i'm a team guy i like certain teams in sports but i'm also like a player guy so like you know every every player that i name so far like i followed them everywhere they went you know what i'm saying it wasn't just a like oh i'm an i'm an ai fan because he's on the sixers no i was an ai fan and he just so happened to play for the sixers i was a fan of him when he played for denver you know what i'm saying yeah um i just think with cam man like you know, I, I don't think he got the fair shot. And the only reason why I say that is because just like Allen Iverson, like you dealt with things as a kid and you rarely like a lot of people that play sports, man, a lot of athletes that, that get into sports, man, they don't really come from a lot. And so when you have guys like that, that have never had like the easy road and never got like their chance to relax and got their chance to be themselves when they finally do get that chance, but they're also rich, like it gives you, you know, that negative thought about them. And I think that's what him, man, like prime example is like fucking when people always give him shit about not diving on that fumble. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like at the same time, there was three fines after the Super Bowl about head-to-head -head contact. So what if he didn't even see the ball because he had a concussion? You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like, these are all things that, like, you know, but people don't want to give him a break because he kind of dresses a little funny and people well, call I mean, him... He wasn't dressing funny when he fucking didn't die for the fumble. Let's just point that out there. No, yeah, 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 that's true. But you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm talking about, like, when people want to give him shit, they're always yeah, talking yeah. about, like, oh, he dresses this way, he's a crybaby, yeah. he's a sore loser. I mean, that's, that's society. I mean, society's always going to be that way. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so that's my, that's my, uh, that's my seven and eight, or no, eight and nine, my bad. So, uh, so what's yours? Um... Mine would have to be Christian McCaffrey. Yeah. Uh, and the reason I'm going with him is because I was a doubter. Mm. Talk I that. Was somebody, I, I was somebody that hated him the first year he was on the Carolina Panthers. I hated him because anytime he got the ball, he only ran for one or two yards. Yep. He got the ball like 90% of the fucking game. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, he got yards, but I mean, if you're the only one getting the fucking ball, you're only running like three or four or five yards. I mean, you're not doing much. Yep. But then fucking the following year, this motherfucker was fucking eating good off the offseason or some shit. Yo, he big, and he came in fucking running and trucking. Man, he put on that fucking, I'm telling you right now, he put on that man weight. That's what it was because, you know, the thing about, the thing about, you know, running backs 
is like prime example right now, which is like a big topic of conversation, is Ezekiel Elliott. And how in the beginning, in his first two seasons, he was a guy that after the tackle would get three to five yards. And if he broke off, he could get 25. You know what I'm saying? But now what they're seeing is what they're what people are trying to paint is like minimal effort is like he's running in the sand. So he's only getting, you know, three yards here, two yards there, uh, whatever. But the thing is to do the opposite, like, so one, obviously you don't want a fucking two-yard guy or three-yard guy. You want the guy that could take the tackle and run off. I think McCaffrey just off pure, like, Kind of like what you said about Matt Frazier, like just pure wanting to be better than everybody else in the room. He like stamped himself as like one, just because I'm a white running back doesn't mean I can't run fast. I'm, j- I'm just being honest. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then two, people said he was too short and he was too small. And his legs weren't choppy enough. They weren't strong enough. You know what I'm yeah. saying? He wasn't a Ladanian, Ladanian Tomlinson. He wasn't yeah. a fucking Reggie Bush. That was me, bro. Because, I mean, I'm like, yo, this nigga can't take a fucking hit. Nope. He gets fucking tapped and he fucking goes down or he fucking fumbles. And that was his first fucking year. Yes, it was. Yep. I deny it. Yeah, he got the ball a lot and put yards up. But that was his fucking year the first year. He kept getting hit and fucking dropping. And then he came back and said, fuck that. I'm not dropping anymore. I'm going to fucking run past you, and I'm going to fucking get it in the end zone and say, fuck you. Man, I'm, I'm telling you right now, there's a different... What I think people have to understand, and I know you understand this, but it's like frustration as a fan. Yeah, yeah. Um, is that sometimes, not, not sometimes, 100% of the time, it's hard to be a rookie... And you're also the best at that position. So it's like LeBron James getting drafted as number one to Cleveland. Like when LeBron James got to Cleveland at 18 years old, he was the best player on Cleveland. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And he was 18. So like... For McCaffrey, he wasn't the best player on the team, but looking back at it now, he was definitely the best running back on the team. And so to be put in a position where, like, one, the scout saw all of it, two, the team saw all of it, and that's why they picked you, and then they're giving you the ball, they know that there's no other options. So when you're fucking up and you fumble the ball, you do get tackled and you don't make the five, you don't make the three yards, you don't make that third down, you know, there's pressure and a lot of guys can fold under that pressure and that's what we call busts in fucking sports world, you know what I'm saying? And so for him to be like, nah, man, like... You guys fucking critique every single thing I do. And now I'm just going to prove to you 
that I'm the best on the field. And man, I'm willing to say it, and I don't give a fuck how much people want to debate this. I'm saying he's top five in the NFL right now. Mm-hmm. As far as as far as guys in their first five years, but I would even go as far as to say like, if you, you can't name four better than him in the NFL right now at his position, you know what I'm saying? No. no. So he's he's top five and he's not fifth. That's what yeah. I'm saying. Yeah. Um. But who's your next one? Bro, you just reminded me of somebody that I used to follow. When I was a kid. What's up? Jerome fucking Bettis. Yes. Motherfucking bus. Yup. Bro, I remember fucking watching ESPN highlights of this man fucking running over every motherfucking body. Yup. I was like, God damn, bro. And I was a, I was a chubby kid, so I'm like, fuck. I want to run over motherfuckers like that. And this For nigga real. was fat, too. Yup. Not only was he big, he was fast. And not only was he fast, he was aggressive. Yeah. <laughs> My man was kidding it. Bro, you know what's real, though? When when you talk about bus, like, mm-hmm. so for, for where I'm from, like, up north, like, street ball is a league. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, like, they have, like, Bone Collector. They have, like, all these dudes that played street ball. And you could actually watch street ball. And so there was a dude. They even made a documentary about him because of how much of a bust he was. <laughs> Sebastian Telfair in the NBA this dude would play street ball games and recruiters would come watch his street ball. This dude would sit there and practice making half court shots multiple in a row. You know what I'm saying? What was his name? Sebastian Telfair. Mm. And he was like the poster child for like somebody that grew up in the hood, somebody that grew up playing street ball, his street ball translated to high school, his high school translated to college, and when he got to the NBA, he did fucking nothing. You know what I'm saying? Like, there was just nothing. Like, he didn't show up. You know what I'm saying? And... A lot of people will say the same thing about, like, there's a bunch of guys from, like, up north. The where, guy who ended up in the Chinese basketball Stephan I was just about to say, Stefan Marbury. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of guys that come from, like, New York, New Jersey, Philadelphia, um, like, or Pennsylvania, places like that where you grow up playing street ball and... You know, you get you get like accustomed to that lifestyle of like fucking fast life, drugs, fucking whatever you're doing. Because you're celebrities, you're celebrities where you live. Yeah. You know yeah, what I'm like saying? The, and all that. You you said what? Like the N one tours. And yeah, exactly. N one. Um, 
all these like all these guys like Stephen Marbury was a celebrity in high school. Like in the documentary, they talk about how like these dudes would play basketball and get paid by the neighborhood drug dealers. You know what I'm saying? And that's like what street ball was all about. Like it was like a Friday night, you bring out the best ballers that never made it and they just put on a show for everybody. You know what I'm saying? Hey, bro, hold my beer real quick. Let me, let me start a leave. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about, man. And, uh, and so, like, you have guys like that. And yeah, yeah. it's just crazy, man, because you go, like, prime example, like you just said, like, he had to go to China. And now he's, like, the biggest ambassador for basketball in China, Stefan Marbury. But he's just a fucking, he's a dude from New York that came into the league couldn't get his shit together. Fucking, um, he was playing with Kevin Garnett. Like, Kevin Garnett, in his prime, he was playing with him on the Timberwolves. And he just decided one day that he wasn't going to play with him anymore. That he wanted to be traded. And they were, like, knocking on the door at championships. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And he was just like, nah, man. And, and supposedly, they were best friends. But... He didn't even tell Kevin Garnett he wanted to be traded. You know what I'm saying? Wow. So it was, it was, it's crazy, man. But, you know, you live that lifestyle, and then they start giving you money. Boom. They start handing you money. Da-da-da-da-da. And instead of being humble, he was like, man, I deserve more. Oh, I should be getting more. And I'm sure there was somebody chatting in his ear saying, hey, dog, get more money. Hey, man, it would be cooler if you had more money. You know what I'm saying? Hey, bro, we all have that demon on our shoulder. Nah, I, I don't even think it was a demon. I'm sure I'm sure it's his quote-unquote best friend. Hey, bro, just because it's your best friend doesn't mean it's not a demon. Yeah, that's a fact. <laughs> um, yeah, so who's your number nine, man? Uh, my number nine is going to be Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart? Yes. All right, explain this one. Um, the man fucking ran a fucking marathon after having fucking surgery on his fucking spine. I mean, how can I not give it to him? Plus, he's one of the best com fucking currently comedians out there. Not to mention he's fucking has a fitness fucking vitamin brand now and a fitness fucking brand, like clothing brand. So no, he didn't. Hold on. He didn't run a marathon mm -hmm. after getting back surgery. Okay. You just undersold the fuck out of that. Okay. He ran a marathon mm -hmm. less than six months after back surgery, after getting into a car accident mm -hmm. that was supposed to paralyze him. Exactly. If you don't know the fucking story, I'm yeah. sorry. Well, I'm just clearing it up because the way that yeah, you yeah. said it made it seem like he got a fucking disc fusion. <laughs> hey, bro, any kind of fucking back surgery and you go run fucking 20 fucking miles, hey, bro, you might get a fucking blowjob from any fucking body on the side of the road that day. That's I mean, a fact. <laughs> but I'm just saying, man, the man is a fucking machine. The man is a machine. The man's work ethic, the man's fitness ethic, the man's diet ethic, the man's 
whatever kind of ethic, like. Okay, Did you maybe, watch his documentary? No, I haven't. I, I I don't. I didn't watch it just because I follow him. I feel like I follow him enough to know his life. Man, if you, so one of the things, and this is something that I respect for any person. There was a scene in the show. So, you know, he's, he's open about his dad being on drugs, him growing up with a single mom, like all this stuff. Like he, he, when he was a teenager, he, he wanted more freedom. So he moved with his dad and shit like that. And he talks about like his dad stealing his money and all this stuff. You know what I'm talking about? So in one of the scenes, you know, his dad's on medication now and he's on oxygen and whatever. And Kevin Hart talked about like how he forgives his dad and that he just wants his dad to have a relationship with his kids. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, and in one of the scenes, his dad was like hesitant to ask him for money for a certain oxygen machine that he needed. And so he was like, hey, Kev, can I talk to you? Like, you know, whatever, can I, can, I, can I talk to you over here real quick? And Kevin Hart was like, dad, what do you need? Like, what? What do you want to talk about? And his dad, like, told him about the oxygen machine. And he was like, right away, he was like, is that the best one? And his dad was like, uh, no, there is a better one, da, da, da. And Kevin Hart was like, no, I'm going to get you the best one. You don't have to fucking pull me to the side to ask me about that. Like, I'm going to get you your medication. I'm going to get you what you need. You know what I'm saying? And for me, as somebody that's like battled with my own opinions about my mom and like parents and shit, to see that from like somebody that could easily just shit on their dad and be like, yo, I'm a fucking damn near billionaire now. You should have stuck around. He chooses not to do that. You know what I'm saying? And and for me, bro, like I can't say that if I was in the same position, like I would I would like to say I would do the same thing, but I would never know. You know what I'm saying? Cuz I'll never be not the not the position of wealth, but I'll never be in that position where I have the choice to, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it was just respectful to like see how he handled that. And to be like, man, like, don't fucking act like you're asking me something. Like, tell me you need this, and I'm getting it for you. Yeah. So, that was cool, man. Yeah, yeah, definitely somebody that looks out for his, the people he loves and cares about. Yeah, man, I have, I have complete, like, I watched his documentary, insane documentary, man. Um, Just shows... Not only does it show how he runs his companies, but it also shows, like, his accountability to himself. Like, if he fucks up, he'll be the first one to say, like, yo, man, I'm the leader. I organized this stuff. I was out of line. You know what I'm saying? And for somebody at that stature, we're like... He's he's possibly the most sellingest comedian in the world right now. His movies are all hits. He he can do basically whatever he wants. 
a lot of those people at that level will pass the blame. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it's because it's easy to when you have all the money. So I just respect that part of him to where he actually holds himself accountable. And I think that's what makes him the most successful. Like, I think that's why he's leaps and bounds ahead of other comedians that started when he started or even started before him. You know what I'm saying? Mm. All right. So for my number 10, which is going to be, um, it's actually going to be number 10 and then my favorite coach. And I chose to put these two together. And this is why I wanted to like emphasize the coach part was because I think this is very important. So number 10 is Tony Ferguson, El Kukui. And even though he lost his last fight, he went five rounds with quite possibly the hardest hitter in the UFC. For five rounds, he took shots to the head that have knocked guys out in 30 seconds. Like, this motherfucker is not a human being. Like, you said what? If I've ever heard of a hard-headed motherfucker, that sounds like one right there. Bro, Justin Gaethje's left hand has knocked out more people than fucking tequila and fucking vodka. Like, his fights, his three fights before Tony Ferguson, he starts dudes in the first round. None of his fights had ever went to decision. He's always got knockout of the night and fight of the night bonuses. He's got a bonus for every single fight that he's had in the UFC. And Tony Ferguson was able to stand there and get completely battered and stay on his feet for 25 minutes. And before this fight, Tony Ferguson hadn't lost a fight in over eight years. So that's how good of a fucking fighter he is. And that's how much heart he has. And that's how much fuck. That's why people call him the boogeyman. You know what I'm saying? Then, to talk about a coach, I have to go with Eddie Bravo and 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu. And the reason why I have to pick him is one, because he's the one that gave Tony Ferguson his black belt. But he's also the one that gave Joe Rogan his black belt. And when Eddie Bravo started jujitsu, he had beat one of the Gracie brothers in a, in a world jujitsu competition in Brazil. So that was like history right there. But to carry that on, he was the first guy that started doing jujitsu for MMA. So what he said was, was like, 
if you're gonna do jujitsu and you're gonna use a gi, then how does that help you in a real fight? Because what's the likelihood that somebody's gonna have a fucking robe on? And, and so with that, he basically went against everything that Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu was built on and he started the no-gi. And the no-gi now is the fucking rash, the rash guards you see people wear when they're doing Jiu-Jitsu. Yeah. Um, is be- basically made popular because of Eddie Bravo. And a lot of guys in the, the jiu-jitsu world really shit on him and hated on him because they were like, oh, man, you're, you're ruining the sport. You're ruining the sport. So instead of him going back and forth and, like, saying, hey, man, like, you know, fuck you. This is the new way. This is the best way. Joe Rogan was interviewing one of the Gracie brothers and Eddie Bravo got invited to come on the podcast and he asked one of the Gracie brothers if he could show him techniques that he thought were only good without a gi on. And now, if you look at the top jiu-jitsu players in the world, I would say 85% of them come from 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu, for sure. Like, any guys that do no gi that are the top in the world right now are 10th Planet guys. You know what I'm saying? And it's all from the, teaches, the teachings of Eddie Bravo. And now, there's even a competition. So you know how, like, different sports have different sets of rules? There's literally, um, there's literally a set of rules in jiu-jitsu competitions called EBI, which is Eddie Bravo Invitational. And it's literally like his rule set that he's laid out for jiu-jitsu and how it should go. And it's recognized all around the world. And it was because he decided to go against the grain and say like, hey man, like jujitsu players are not winning fights against kickboxers. And they're not winning fights against boxers and they're not winning fights against MMA guys or wrestlers. How do we change it so that they're not relying on somebody wearing a fucking gi? So I just think, like, that's a revolutionary thing. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, he, he definitely put a stamp on the, on the sport of jiu-jitsu. Yep. And I could definitely see why he's one of your favorites. Yep. So and who's... You, at the beach, I don't, I don't even want to say anything else. Y- yeah. <laughs> but, um... Do so you have... motivational speech there you had there. Hey, man, I just... that That was, like... Once, once I started looking into athletes and I was thinking about Tony Ferguson, I was like, man, do I just mention fucking Eddie Bravo? <laughs> like, Because people that know him or people that know him in passing just think of him as the conspiracy guy on fucking Joe Rogan's podcast. I mean, you have some pretty wild conspiracies. Yeah. 
What they forget is he is literally like, you know, a monk among, among men when it comes to like jujitsu. Like he is a fucking founding father of modern day jujitsu, which is insane because I think he's only like 40 something. You know what I'm saying? And all the founding fathers or, or brothers of the Gracies are like in their 50s and 60s. So, so who's your number 10? And if you have a coach. Um, I definitely don't have a coach because I don't think I follow sports that much. Yeah. Uh, but my number 10, um, I don't really have one, but if I had to come up with one on the top of my head, um, I would probably say Ronnie Coleman. Yeah. Um, just because, I mean, he is an eight-time Mr. Olympian. I am into, I sort of am into bodybuilding. I'm not a fan of it as much. I like the work ethic and the whole atmosphere of, like, training behind it. Yep. But not a fan of looking at dudes in underwear. The posing trunks? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not a fan of that, so. <laughs> But I do like the work ethic. I love the training a a a aspect of it. I love the fucking determination that you have to put in. You have to put dedication. You have to put time, effort, fucking... You gotta basically mentally fucking train yourself to eat a meal every few hours, train, eat a meal, train, eat a meal, rest, fucking sleep, fucking routine after routine after routine, and that takes dedication, my guy. Yep. Man, I remember, I remember watching, and this was like the first, the first like, this was like my first year into like working out. Like, so I'm like 18 and it was the year that Jay Cutler won the Mr. Olympia, I think over Phil Heath or maybe it was Ronnie Coleman. I forget which one, but it was the last time Jay Cutler had won at Mr. Olympia. And there was like a docu-series on YouTube about Jay Cutler and he would wake up in the middle of the night like to an alarm to eat an entire meal because in the eight hours that he slept he would lose 10 to 15 pounds like that's how big he was you know what I'm saying That's fucking ridiculous, bro. Like, bro, he would he would literally like wake up in the middle of the night, and I'm not talking about like a protein shake. I'm talking about like stuff down an entire meal. I think he was like 312 pounds with abs. And I met Jay Cutler on Fort Carson when he came to the GNC. And that guy is like 5'7". So I'm 5'10". He's like 5'7". He was 312 pounds 
with abs. That's insane. What's more insane is like, how do you keep up a diet with no carbs? Yeah, they they do crazy stuff, man. They, I'm I'm telling you, bro. Like it's a, the, especially with like Ronnie Coleman, man. Like being that low percent of body fat, and also fucking squatting 800 pounds, like. That's unreal. You know what I'm saying? Fucking Larry Wheels doing that shit. Fucking unreal. Well, he's yeah. a freak, man. Larry Wheels is a freak, too. Did you see that deadlift he did in that, like, 130-something degree weather out there in Dubai or something? Yep. Yep. That dude, that, again, that dude is a fucking... We, <laughs> we could do another fucking top 20 list, and you got to, you know, honorable mentions, but... Nah, man, it's just, you know, the, the bodybuilders, they're strong fucking dudes. They, they're, you know, they work hard. That's dedication. And uh, really, man, like, I, I just think, you know, any person that's on this list, that's on our list, you know, they transcend what they're doing. Yeah. And that's why people talk about them. And that's why they're so great. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. not only were they good at a certain thing. But their personality, but their, you know, work ethic, but their charisma all transcended the sport that they were playing. And that's what makes them great. Yeah, for sure. Yep. I mean, that's got to do it in our everyday life. Exactly. But all right, man. Look, bro, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Um, The listeners... Be ready, because we're going to be doing a lot more of these. And um, have a good night. Oh, yeah, bro. And everybody stay safe out there. Remember, COVID-19 still out there. Okay. You just got us demonetized. No, I'm just saying. <laughs> hey, bro. 